Greetings and welcome to the pod. My name is Mark West. Primrose Freestone is an Associate Professor in Clinical Microbiology at the University of Leicester, is a science communicator and an infectious diseases expert, and has dived into the debate of whether swimming in a pool or in the natural environment is the safer option. It's the strength of your immune system is what allows you to basically go swim in dirty water and not emerge from it um, with a life-threatening infection. She also has some pretty interesting thoughts on hot tubs. Hot tubs are basically very diluted poo, frankly. <laughs> I started by asking Primrose about her relationship with wild swimming. Yeah, well, the point is, I can't understand, mostly because I can't swim, actually, why <laughs> people actually swim out in the wild where in the water there's absolutely everything that ever lived in it, pooed in it, uh, or died in it. <laughs> But then having said that, since I'm a micro clinical microbiologist, it also means I understand about the robustness of our immune systems. And the reason that we get away from it is, get away with it rather, is that we've been doing it for a long time and we have a very robust immune system, which allows us to basically live in very dirty environments. So that's the way you get away with it. But then when there comes a time, chemotherapy, age, whatever transplantation uh, in immunosuppression that's when you have to think twice about well pretty much everything that you could take for granted before especially things like swimming in dirty water which i have to say wild swimming is i guess as a microbiologist you will have seen all of this you know what can happen if you get infected with with yes, with something absolutely. in the water um enteric viruses especially rotavirus hantavirus norovirus and fecal associated you know bacterial infections um vibrio especially like seawater and the infective dose is also quite low you wouldn't even know that you've swallowed it but again some people just get away with it um others won't necessarily and i suppose one of the things that's quite sort of sad of all is you're on holiday you're swimming in the sea and you suddenly come down with vomiting and diarrhea um that is by no means unusual especially if the water is contaminated with sewage because again seawater is not clean and you would be i mean people seem to think sometimes that the high level of salt is antibacterial antiviral it's not you'll be surprised at what they can live quite happily in seawater for a very long time as well. Well, maybe this is a good place to, to start. What what are some of the bugs that you can find in, in seawater and, and what do they do? Anything associated with humans will be there. And you have about 1,500 different species living on you and in you. And when you go into the water, everything that's got these things, species in, potentially, you know, particularly any, everything below the waist, actually will go out into the water. Now, in seawater, admittedly, it's going to be diluted very considerably. In other waters, possibly not. I mean, the thing is, anything that has been deposited in that water is still going to be around for quite a while afterwards. And that is the, the kind of danger, if you like, of um, swimming in wild water or wild swimming or Free, free swimming, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
So I suppose it's it's worse in places where it's not getting flushed or if it's being continually topped up by, I don't know, sewage outlets or stormwater drains or something yeah, like that. Yeah, that's a problem. And also when you have heavy rain, you'll get sort of overflow of um, sort of, well, sewage outlets, quite frankly. Um, and that's never, never good. And of course, also, and this has happened in the UK, you get sometimes illegal release of um, sewage. And um, that's happened particularly up north, um, Blackpool Way, um, which is one of our um, sort of major tourist areas. And cut a long story short, people get sick. Oh, yeah. And don't eat your seafood on the seafront. OK, it's these are kind of filter feeders and they're going to concentrate all sorts of nasty bacteria and viruses unless you really cook them. OK, <laughs> well, they certainly say that you shouldn't eat fish in Sydney Harbour. I think there's a lot of longer chain organics and heavy metals and that sort of thing that, uh, that, that, that the fish eat up that even cooking's probably not going to get rid of. Cooking won't get rid of them for sure. It'll just change them chemically potentially. And of course, um, there are, even though you might kill off the bacteria and there are still some um, E. coli's that make heat-stable toxins. So you might have killed off the pathogenic microorganism um, by cooking but the toxin is still there and you'll still get sick so probably best to buy from your fishmonger yeah that's a fascinating idea and is is freshwater like a freshwater lake is the, the sort of um uh the wild swimming is a really big concept in in britain i mean it, it's it's known here i guess but there's a lot more beach swimming is there a difference between freshwater and, and saltwater in general is one worse than the other each of them have got different challenges, but you'll still pick up viruses and bacterial infections um, and amoeba infections, quite frankly, um, from either. I would say seawater is probably more microbially diverse, okay, because it's bigger and you get lots more kind of um, vertebrates and invertebrates living in it, living, dying in it, decomposing, and also people, you know, using it. Um Having said that, also uh, local waters where there's not much um, water, but where it might be well used by people. I mean, whatever those people are carrying will end up in the water. And how does that compare to your local pool? I guess the local pool is treated with chlorine and bromine or, or yep, whatever. I'm afraid so. And it's also pro it's also profiled regularly um, for microbial content. And particularly for enteric um, species, E. coli, salmonella, you know, that kind of thing. I have to say, swimming in a swimming pool, microbiology is a lot safer than swimming out there. Um, but if you've got a robust immune system and you've been doing it for a long time and you've stayed healthy, uh, my advice would be keep on doing what you're doing. But there may come a time when your immune system is not so robust and that's when you might have to rethink the sea versus the pool. That that sort of circles back to what you were saying at the start about your immune system. Are we born this way or do we need to have lived a little bit and swallowed some seawater along the way to, to build up an immunity? <laughs> Look, when you're a kid, you're going to swallow the seawater anyway, <laughs> wherever you live. Um, although I'm in one of the, in less, living in Leicestershire, I'm in one of the most landlocked counties. But having said that, none of us are more than about 80 or 90 minutes away from the seaside if we want to go to the sea. Um, we just don't particularly. Anyway, so, um, yes, your immune system, you have an innate immune system and an adaptive immune system, one that's 
recognises everything. Another one which it requires um, an antigen, um, something to train it, you know, like, like a vaccine or whatever, or exposure to an infectious agent or something. And that evolves um, over time, especially during your first five years of life. However, okay, as a species, we relatively recently lived in very dirty environments and often our the way that we died was actually via infectious diseases all right so we now have a much cleaner living um, world and we have antibiotics and we have vaccines and we have antivirals and infectious diseases are still a challenge but they're not what they were before and we are much cleaner people and their waste especially you know um, fecal waste or night waste as it used to be called is actually separated from that quite regularly people who have died are actually taken away and put into a safer environment in terms of infection risk which they weren't before so therefore we have a very robust immune system and uh, most of us actually sort of grow up you know hugging the dog eating something directly from the gut the ground you know sort of nicking the cat's food as i did once when i was a, when i was two <laughs> it wasn't very nice um and so we have that protection of the immune system and we've got the evolutionary protection as well so the reason <clears throat> excuse me is that you can get away from get away with swimming in quite dirty water microbiologically is because you have this very very strong immune defense and protection and what you get exposed to um, in terms of bacteria viruses protozoa fungi whatever okay you will if it's foreign to your immune system develop an antibody response to it you'll develop an immune defense against it so that's probably one of the reasons why if you've swum um, in wild in wild waters um, for a long time you actually sort of become in relatively immune to what's there but i imagine there's a point at which even that's not going to help you what are some of the things that you should be looking out for if you if you come across a, a beach or a lake or wherever and you want to swim what might be some of the things that that turn you away dogs <laughs> definitely um jellyfish yep um the, the problem is you microorganisms at level infect you and cause infectious disease at levels that you can't taste or, or perceive them okay if you see fecal matter on the beach don't go anywhere near it um the answer is the infectious dose the number of microorganisms bacteria viruses that you need to take into cause an infection is so low you wouldn't be able to actually perceive it right so you have to look around at what you are potentially going to be swimming in. So is there anything, well, there's a toilet paper on the, on yeah. the um, beach. <laughs> um, is there anything that doesn't look anything other than absolutely pristine in terms of seaweed, shells, bits of wood or whatever? If there's human waste there, be careful. And speaking of human waste, I, f I was reading your article and I was, uh, I'm not quite sure what the word is, about uh, hot tubs. And, and oh, that one about hot tubs. <laughs> uh, hot tubs are basically very diluted poo, frankly, <laughs> uh, because 
everything that's below your lower part because you're in a, in a hot tub that's warm and probably has um, surfactants and you know detergents that can lower the surface tension, bubbly hot tub. It's, it's going to give you a really good wash, but you're also going to get coated with everybody else's bacteria as well. Again, though, if you are immune system competent, you should be all right. Um, but it's probably a good idea to have make sure that when you go into a hot tub, you're clean. Relative, well, you've, you've, you've gone and had a shower. Um, but frankly, I wouldn't go in one full stop. <laughs> so you're not uh, you're not getting in a hot tub anytime soon. It doesn't sound like you want to get in the ocean anytime soon either. I know I've paddled in the ocean as a kid. Yeah. Uh, as I said, I, I never got around to learning to swim, but I most certainly I've gone as far as my knees, and I probably didn't even wash my hands afterwards, and I'm still here. So <laughs> it's part of your immune system's training, quite frankly. And I've got no problem with people swimming as long as they are aware of the risks involved in it. And they're not just microbiological either. You know, being exposed to cold water can actually do strange things in terms of inhalation. You, you know about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sort of the shock when you can get into the cold water. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. And that can lead to drowning in relatively warm water but we never have warm water in this country so <laughs> anyway <laughs> and what, what attracted you to microbiology in the first place what's what's your history there was a lecturing post going available in it and <laughs> I, I, I was invited to apply for it and I did so I became um, I'm actually a microbial biochemist, clinical um, by training, but um, this post came along and I thought, this is interesting. So I did it and uh, lo and behold, here I still am. Associate Professor in Clinical Microbiology, dealing with infectious diseases and other things. Now, how do people, do you, do you treat a lot of people or study a lot of people that might get sick from, from swimming, from infectious diseases? Is it a very common way that people get crook? <sighs> In terms of visits to GPs, about one in three or four um, visits is due to an infection of some sort. So people still get lots of infections. It's just that they don't usually die from them now. Although with the, develop the uh, onset and, and progression of antibiotic resistance, that might actually be a problem again. A hundred years ago, you died, you died of TB or cholera or something else. You don't anymore. If you actually are treated fast enough and follow the um, instructions, you don't. That the, and that antibiotic resistance is a fascinating topic. Is that we hear about it a lot, and you hear about superbugs in hospitals and and that type of thing. Yeah. Is this this is something that you're coming up against more and more? Antibiotic resistance is an issue, and um, microorganisms are resilient and robust and. Um, they also are subject to quite rapid mutation rates and sometimes the mutation might be harmful to the microorganism and that particular sort of strain dies out or it might confer upon it a resistance, for example, um, develop, you know, um, mutation in evolution of a pump that pumps out the antibiotics. So the answer is whatever antibiotics we use it's likely that resistance will develop at some point but you just develop new antibiotics that that's the um, um one of the biggest um, industries in the pharmaceutical world at the moment is that 
is there i mean i'm no i'm no microbiologist is that possible to continue to invent antibiotics forever is, is that is that likely we don't just use antibiotics we also have protection as well in terms of vaccines and that's especially so for um infections caused by viruses which don't have independent lives and which basically um hijack our cells and in so doing actually cause them the disease um so vaccination hygiene antibiotics that's why we are and, and also general understanding of what keeps people healthy checking blood pressure cholesterol levels all of those factors is one of the reasons why we're, we're living as long as we are yeah. Although, having said that, life expectancies have dipped since the pandemic, which is a bit concerning. That is very concerning. I mean, is that is that a, a whole lot of under appreciation of the impact that that COVID had? A lot of re- deaths not reported as COVID. Do you think your lifestyle, um, or lifestyle, your okay, yep. nutrition, um, your awareness of keeping yourself healthy all of that lot impacts on life expectancy i have to say as also does genetics i come from a family where they live quite happily until their late 90s um, and they don't go senile either which is also good <laughs> um but it i mean that that's something you can't control but what you can control is how you live your lifestyle and that has a major influence on your life expectancy, quite frankly, especially stress levels, nutrition, quality of living in, of living environments. Swimming has some uh, some known benefits, like a lot of aerobic benefits, of course, and anti-anxiety benefits, and all the rest of it. So yeah, de-stressing absolutely, high serotonin, all it's good for you. It's just that no, not for me. It's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I guess it's a trade-off if your immune system is fine, which for most people it probably is. I guess. Uh, for most situations, then it's probably a good thing to do, but you need to be very careful if if you're immunocompromised. Absolutely. And I'm sure that uh, any clinician that's actually sort of um, caring for the immunocompromised person will make them well aware of that. It's the strength of your immune system is what allows you to basically go swim in dirty water and not emerge from it um, the life-threatening infection but when it aspect of your immunity especially your cell-based immunity your white blood cells become compromised when the levels start falling as they do for example doing chemotherapy or certain types of cancers then yeah that's when you have to rethink what you're doing because frankly a swim is not worth getting a life-threatening infection no that, i mean that's a that's a stark point isn't it So what's next for your research? I do all sorts of stuff. At the moment, I'm looking at infection risks from fresh produce, particularly things like lettuce. And I've published a few papers about the amazing levels of salmonella, listeria and teriki coli um, that live on things like lettuces. So I've published actually a few papers on that. I'm also a science presenter for BBC Radio, particularly my local radio station, Radio Leicester, but I actually do radio presentations on hygiene and related pretty much throughout the world. I did um, South Africa a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. Cape Town Radio, which was amazing. Fantastic. And I'm talking to somebody from Australia. 
which is also <laughs> quite quite amazing. Yes, ah, is it quite the science communicator? That's awesome. Yeah, well, um, I don't know how this happened actually. And that's not true. I I actually published a paper. My local radio um, asked me to come in and talk about it, and I did. And they liked the way that I did it, and so therefore. They kept inviting me back to do other stuff, and that's what I've been doing since then. And then you end up apparently on a BBC database that this particular person can actually talk, and they've got expertise in this and this area. So I, I get to talk about I, during the pandemic. I was on pretty much every week, sometimes twice a week, with lots of different radio stations, but mostly in my local. And um, and. I do pretty much everything. I mean, so, so for example, two weeks ago, um, one of our counties um, had a, a, a dustbin men strike. So they asked me, well, what can you do to keep yourself safe if you're not having a bin collection for five weeks? So All right. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Boy, that's an interesting topic. Well, it is actually. The thing is, um, you have to. Because especially in warm weather, although having said that, we don't have warm weather here very much. Um <laughs> You, you you know, food is going to decompose really quickly and it's going to attract flies, beetles, carrion, whatever. Um, you know, rats. Well, you have rats in in Australia, don't you? Yes, yes. We probably, I think we probably, probably, probably imported them yeah, from England. Yeah, you probably England, brought them anyway. over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, probably, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, thing is, the bins are emptied weekly here simply because um, accumulating um, food waste is going to result in a much greater infection risk, particularly from flies, okay? Flies go on poo, go on food, go on in your house and whatever. I must admit, we're quite obsessive about getting rid of flies if they're in the house. So um, we have fly swatters and we have lots of cans of fly spray. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so it was mostly um, advice on how to actually reduce your food waste. And so I gave them access, um, sort of information on different uh, unit, um, government websites and above all, what to do um, with the waste that you are producing and um, especially reminding them of the importance of washing your hands. Yep. And actually that is probably one of the most important things you can do microbiologically to protect your health because the hand are so important in terms of disseminating disease. So basically, hand mouth. Um, so often, it's what you, you what's on your hands that goes into your mouth um, that actually sets off an infection. Not just bacteria, but also viruses and fungal and pretty much everything. Hand washing is just so important. Full stop. And rubbish is the sort of thing that does end up in local waterways that can then end up somewhere where you're going to swim as well, which is so some of the same sort of bugs, I imagine. Yeah. I'm not saying don't swim. I'm just saying swim with information. Be informed about where you are. And if the place doesn't look right, you see rubbish. Um, that's just the um, visible form of, the, of, of what's there. And um, think about what might there be that's invisible um, but still can actually cause you harm. That's where you've got to be careful. I love the, that they got you on to talk about the bins. My partner used to work for a local council, and the yeah. number one complaint every week was about bins not being picked up. So I can imagine five weeks of bins not being picked up, the place would have been in meltdown. 
I think the strike ended after about two weeks. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. You win. <laughs> uh, you know, bin waste. Abs- uh, people are obsessive about their, their bins. They decorate them around where I live, which is absolutely crazy. But, yeah, um, bin, wa- bin collection, um, which is every Monday and Thursday here. Uh, well, Monday for um, municipal general race, Thursdays for, for um, garden waste. Um, yeah. It, it is something that we really take seriously, <laughs> a bit like the weather as well. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> look, when it comes to swimming, look at the water that you're going to be walking into and look around for any signs of anything that looks out of place um in the sea it, yeah yeah I, I think you're probably a bit better protected just because of the sheer volume of dilution that's going to occur in other waterways especially you know rivers canals ponds do be very very careful um there's lots of infections diseases you can pick up and but again, if you've been doing this since you were five years old and you're still absolutely fine, you know, 35 years later, carry on with it by all means. But remember that water can change. All right. What was safe once might not be anymore. And safety isn't just about microbiology. It's also about chemicals um, that might be released into water, which are even harder to detect than microorganisms. If you've got a microscope, you can actually see what's there. You won't necessarily quite so easily detects, you know, toxic leg levels or organic solvents or or whatever. Um, if the water looks funny, oh, yeah, there's an algae on the water. Be careful about that as well. Uh, might not be so in Australia, but over here we do have um, toxin-producing algae occasionally that actually um, doing summer months. Not that we've that's an issue at the moment, but anyway. Oh, yes, there's plenty of blue-green algae in inland rivers and lakes in, in Australia, although we're doing our best all right. our best to drain them and have them evaporate and all the rest of it. Some of them aren't in particularly good health at the moment, I don't think. Lots of fish kills and, and so forth. Well, look, if the fish are dying, you don't go in you that water. You don't go swimming there. Yeah, no, that's right. So, yeah, it's not funny. Absolutely. It's, 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 a, it's a, a real kind of uh, continuing problem in Australia, I think. Um, and I don't know all the reasons for it. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit of an It issue. is everywhere. And it is in the UK as well, actually. Yeah. Although we supposedly have lots of regulations, there is always some rogue operator that um, deposits, um, you know, chemical waste into waterways and causes, you know, fishing of the death and potentially death of anything that actually might be swimming in it. Um, it sometimes gets that bad. But as I said, on the whole, um, some of our water areas, you know, River Thames, for example, have become much cleaner. You even have otters in them now. That's amazing. And uh, you see stories of people swimming the Thames and I can't imagine people were doing that 100 years ago, 50 years ago. There would have been no way they'd be swimming the Thames. It probably floated on the surface because yeah. it was an open sewer. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and, and well, Sydney Harbour's an awful lot cleaner than it used to be and there's plenty of swims there. I mean, it's probably an order of magnitude cleaner than the Thames simply because it's so big and it washes around. But uh, yeah, it had a, lot of, it had a lot of issues, but it's a whole lot cleaner now. It's a lot cleaner. Um, and some people do swim in it, but um, I think you're more likely to be, mowed, you know, mowed over by a motorboat or something. That's now, right. So. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> <laughs> and sadly, that's a problem for um, you know marine life too. That, that, I'm amazed to hear there are otters there. That's really cool. And and actually, the nice thing about it is, the otters weren't just planted there deliberately, as as beavers have been in in some areas. Um, they just turned up because the water was clean enough. There was enough local fish. Okay, we have otters. Yeah, that's a nice sign. So sometimes we we our, our um, government gets it right, but I think these agencies are independent of the government anyway. Um, so that's probably why they work so well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, that's, that's yes. Thank you very much to Primrose Freestone for that really interesting chat on the germs that you might find if you go swimming in the natural environment. The hot tub quote may well be my favourite quote from all the episodes of the pod. If you'd like any more information on anything you've heard today, then get over to the website at www.thepodpodcast.net. That's www.thepodpodcast.net. And if you like, you can rate the pod on whatever podcast catcher you're using. There are also some awards going on at the Australian Podcast Awards. I would have thought I've got little to no chance, but you've got to be in it to win it. So feel free to check them out too. My name's Mark West. I'll catch you next time on the pod. Thank you.